So, uh, thank you for joining me. Um, I'm very honored. I've always uh, what it would be like to do a podcast. Well, this is going to be my first podcast for the uh, Talking Ship with Jonathan Shipley. (laughs) I can uh, thank Teal for the uh, name there. Say that's yeah. But uh, my goal here, yeah, my goal here is going to be to interview. some comedians in the St. Louis area, you know, ones that we kind of bump into all the time and, you know, hear a little bit about them hear, you know, where they came from, what interested them in comedy and that kind of stuff. And, you know, ideally uh, let everybody get a chance to kind of show be showcased uh, at the end of each episode and get a little bit of their comedy out there. Okay. I don't know if I'm really that prepared for that, but when am I ever prepared? I mean, let's be real. I'm not prepared. It's all just a train wreck. It's all just hey. an extraneous uh, stream of consciousness train wreck. That fortunately, hey. people, you know, that whole thing where you can't look away, I feel like it's kind of like that. It, it, <laughs> if it works, it works. That's all that matters. Right. When I'm performing, I feel like people must be thinking, oh my God, this is such a train wreck, but I just can't look away. So you actually were one of the people that got me into doing this in the first place. Um, bumped into you at Shameless uh, a while back, and uh, you kind of got me drawn into it. Yeah, I really like that open mic. It's very alive. I love it. So how long have you been doing uh, stand-up? Well, you know, that's kind of a funny dynamic. Um, I did it initially many years ago. I want to say like 12 years ago, maybe. And um, I had a little bit of luck with it. Not much. Like my first thing I ever did was at the Ashby Inn. That was just this little neighborhood dive on Ashby in St. Anne. Teeny, first of all, most open mics, as you know, in bars are pretty disastrous. But this (laughs) this was super disastrous because it was just this teeny tiny little place. So picture... And it, no, no one had ever done open mic there before. It was like the first time to ever do it. I think it might have been Mike McClure that was doing it, although I'm not really positive about that. I can't really remember. But picture six toothless old guys. You know, like I call them old man beer dive bars. You know, the old guys that are drinking dollar fifty long necks and they're there every night to get away from their wives. Those kind of guys. Well, picture like to close them down. Yeah, like there's not even that many of these these dives around anymore, really. I mean, I think that clientele has mainly died off. But picture like six of those guys sitting at the bar, and there's no stage of any kind. The comedians are literally just standing, like I would say, two to three feet away from the six people sitting at the bar, who really have no interest in watching stand-up comedy at all. So it was really just pretty disastrous. Um, I can't recall. I think at the time, I had this job where I was flying military troops all around the world. I was doing all this international flying. So I was telling some story about that. And I mean, it wasn't really getting heckled. It was just like commentary. I remember this guy was like, I never been on no plane before. I've been seeing all about it in the movies. It was such, you know, in retrospect, I don't know why I ever continued after that being my first time. You know what I'm saying? Like, I really don't know how I 
got the will to live or continue after that. But I remember when you uh, pulled me aside afterwards, after my first time, you were telling me about how uh, you had got heckled and some, uh, some dude was like, show me your tits. Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That might've been a different night, but yeah, there's a lot, there's some of that that goes on. Um, (laughs) But anyway, I did a little bit of stand up here and there. Um, I went out to Tucson and did some stand up. I have a friend out there that's a comedian and um, that's a really cute little, that's a cool little scene out there, especially for women. But anyway, um, then like a lot of bad stuff happened in my life. I got laid off, had to move in with my mother, which when you're in your fifties and you're living with your widowed mother, my dad passed away. I got, you know, I lost my job. The company went out of business, moved in with my mother. And then as the years went on, my mother developed Alzheimer's disease which is just a brutal, awful situation. And, you know, eventually she passed away and it was just a whole thing. And so needless to say, I, for quite a few years, I didn't do anything because I didn't really feel funny. You know what I mean? Um, I just, I don't know, I kind of lost, it was just a lot to go through in a short amount of time. And I just kind of felt, I just didn't feel like being funny because I didn't feel funny, you know? Well, I know a lot of uh, comedians, there's kind of this trope that um, a lot of people that do comedy are slightly jaded or they have a lot of uh, kind of stuff they've dealt with over the years. Yeah. And that's, we, we all joke that, you know, it's it's kind of, you know, doing therapy when you're up on there and, on the stage and whatnot. But there's a little bit of truth to that, I think. I, I believe there is. I think most comedians... A lot of them are introverts, which is kind of a weird dynamic. Um, And I think a lot of us have a very dark side. I think a lot of comedians suffer from depression. Somebody drew it to my attention once. I can't remember who it was. might have been Jerry Seinfeld. I was watching a documentary with him. And he made the comment, and I think this is really true. I remember him making the comment that all comedians are hyper-aware of their environment, of everything that's going on around them, everything that we're hyper aware individuals. So I think that that's very helpful in comedy, but I also think that when you are a hyper aware person, I think you are aware of a lot of disturbing things that maybe normal people, I call them ham and eggers, people that just get up every day and have ham and eggs and go to the same job every day. I call them ham and eggers. Um, I think when you're hyper aware and hyper attuned, that can sometimes be a bit much, you know, it's like a, I don't know, you're just absorbing so much and a lot of that is good, but maybe some of it is a bit burdensome, burdensome, maybe, I don't know. I have thought about that a lot. The comedians are hyper aware. And I've had a couple different guys that I've hung out, bring that to my attention. You're very aware of everything that's going on. You're like hyper aware. You seem like you're just really like a, almost like a, device picking up every I don't know it's a weird thing but I just really think that comedians are some of the most spectacular interesting personalities and people in the world I I love the comedy community I really I I really do like the St. Louis uh, community I think we have a really solid one here I agree I do too I I my background for many years I owned a music venue I was actually a venue owner I owned a live venue yeah I had it for 19 years and we did some comedy but that that's kind of my actual skill set I was a venue owner for close to 20 years and 
Like, I'm not looking to get famous. Oh, thank God, you say. I'm not, I don't care about opening for a comedian at Helium. I don't, I basically, I lost my lease, you know, the, the building I had my bar and got sold out from under me. It's a very common situation. And I, I very much miss, I have missed being part of an artistic community. I like collaborating with people. I like being around um, creative people. So for me, you know, and the reason that I had that open mic, I had it at three different places on Tuesday nights. The, the reason to do that for me was just to be able to collaborate and get to know different local comedians and give people a forum to kind of, you know, a lot of people say, oh, you should get another bar. But it, I don't know. It, it's a lot of work, you know. I probably don't oh, see I imagine. Myself. Yeah, I don't see myself opening another venue. But uh, at this phase in life, I'm going to be 60 on Wednesday. So, you know, kind of, yeah, no. Is this going to be the most depressing fucking birthday ever? My God. Corona apocalypse birthday. You know, it's a landmark birthday. And here we are. Anyway. Well, you say you don't uh, really want to seek fame or seek to you know open for other people and whatnot, but you have kind of established yourself, at least in our community, as the comedy mom. Um, everyone knows you and kind of, you know, there's that, uh, I don't know if the word adoration is the right word, but everyone kind of like looks up to you to some degree. I think you have those connections. I, I think I'm a kind of a maternal person. That was kind of my um, moniker at my bar. I was kind of the rock and roll mom. I, it was always like being the, I used to say I was the matron of the mayhem. So I think that's kind <laughs> of innately wired into my whatever. I just, I like the social aspect of it. I truly do. But um, as I said, I was out of it for a long time. And, you know, I've always missed being a venue owner. And I was flying around one night. I was on the plane doing a red eye. It was years after my mom died. I guess it was like two years ago or a year ago, year and a half ago, whenever I got back in. And I was just sort of depressed on the plane last, that night. And I was deep in thought. You know, it was a red eye. Everybody's sleeping. You got a lot of time to think. And I just remember thinking, man, there's got to be more than this. I'm not that particularly enamored with this job. It's just something I do to pay the bills. It's, I'm not, you know, there's nothing that's really like, creatively sparking me. There's nothing that makes me feel rewarded and enriched. What can I do? What can I do? And I don't know why it just kind of popped into my head. I guess some people would say it was my mother kind of, you know, speaking to me from the other side, but I had sort of forgotten about this. When my mom was in hospice, um, she was kind of pretty much in a coma. You know what I mean? Kind of in and out, in and out. Right. And the last thing that my mother ever said to me you know, she would have lucid moments, you know what I'm saying? And she opened her eyes and she looked at me and she recognized me, which had not happened that much during that couple of weeks, you know, in hospice. She opened her eyes and she looked at me and she said to me, you're a funny little girl. And like, I don't know whether she was seeing me as a little tiny girl or I don't really know what the context of it was, but that was the last thing that my mother ever said to me before she died. And I think I had kind of forgotten about that, you know, and it just kind of popped into my head that night on the plane. And I thought to myself, you know what, 
I should really get back into stand-up. That would make me feel good. So that's kind of why I got back in. I don't know. It sounds very corny and schmaltzy, I know, but... No. I don't don't know. I would like to think that she was communicating with me from the other side. She was from Great Britain, my mother. She was stop feeling bloody sorry for yourself. (sighs) Bloody daft. I think a lot of us kind of use it as an outlet. Um, You know, it's not something that we're using to necessarily get famous or do anything with, but it's just... It's a bit of normalcy and a regular thing in your life. Like you said, like it's it's an outlet. It it's is. a one of my uh, friends that I talked to recently. Um, he's tried it in the past. Uh, he's tried doing comedy, and it's just it hasn't really connected with him. And he's described the scene as like being very competitive. And I don't know. I, I kind of disagree with him. For a long time, what kept me from actually trying it was I kind of had this feeling of, well, you're not you're not as good as these other people. So I always thought, well, I'll I'll leave it to the people that are really good at it, and I you know I'm not going to measure up. But the community, at least here, doesn't really seem like that. It seems like everybody's very very nice to each other, very complimentative. Like whenever you step off stage or you're like, you know, going to the bathroom after your set, you'll pass people and they'll be like, Hey, that was really good. Or, you know, Hey, that was, that was a great one. It's not really this kind of this competitive nature kind of thing. At least, at least not here. I haven't experienced it elsewhere. Yeah. I mean, I think there's probably a lot worse scenes. I, I, there was a, somebody that moved here recently from New York city and he said it was just awful. I mean, you can imagine you know, um, I find the scene here very warm and inviting. I mean, sure, there's going to maybe be people that I, I do think, too, a lot of, like I said before, I think that there are a lot of introverted comedians, which, oddly enough, um, you know, I, I, I think it's, it's what you make it. You know, you're never going to be best friends with everybody, you know, no. but and I think in any creative community, people feel that way. I think musicians feel that way. And but I think at the end of the day, there's a very strong camaraderie. And I think that we're all really realizing, realizing it now that we've all just been shut away and there's no weekly open mics. And, you know, I think that we're really realizing, at the, again, at the risk of sounding corny, I think we're all really realizing how much we really do mean to each other. I really miss everybody. I feel like I have a whole new you know, circle of friends, a whole new little dysfunctional family <laughs> with the comedy community. I think that we're all really missing one another. So, um, I, yeah. I completely agree. Like, um, recently this week I was working on a new set that I'll probably be doing coming up here. And I had an idea for a joke and I ended up, uh, collaborating a little bit back and forth with a uh, teal about it. And, uh, and it's one of those things where I don't, uh, I'm not necessarily like best friends with a guy, uh, but you know, we've done a lot of open mics together and there's that kind of uh, camaraderie where it's, everyone's kind of approachable with each other where you can just, you know, reach out to them on Facebook or something and, you know, talk to somebody. Cause we, we've all kind of, everyone kind of knows everyone. 
And I think everybody, the more you perform with people, the more accustomed you get to their style and their kind of like their trademark. I love working on jokes with other comedians. So much of the time, you know, somebody else will rework one of your jokes and it's like so much better, you know, and they'll go, yeah, you can have that. You know, well, it, it's just the really joke that I was doing. I'm oh, sorry. No, it's okay. I find it a lot of fun. I, I really like that. I enjoy that. The, the joke that I was doing uh, was I was making a joke about how um, comedians in general is really seen as bad form if you copy someone else's material and, you know, how that's like that will get you blacklisted and that kind of stuff. And then I wanted to finish the joke with the punchline of using Teal's punchline of Zoom Zoom Kapow. And I just figured, you know, like, well, he's the only one in the area who has like that kind of a catchphrase. That catchphrase. So, you know, it'd be the obvious, no, you're stealing someone's material. I think, uh, you know, one time I went on this comedy cruise many years ago with Louis Black and Kathleen Madigan and uh, Ted Alejandro, Larry Wilborn. It was a lot of fun. But Kelly Carlin was there as a speaker because she has a podcast. And it was really a pretty cool talk. She just talked about her dad and her dad and mom who were married like for 40 plus years. They were married to each other. Is George Carlin related? Carlin, yes. His daughter, Kelly Carlin. And she said, I thought this was so interesting. She said that her dad, George Carlin, never, ever, ever watched other comedians because he was afraid that he would accidentally plagiarize. You know, you hear something, maybe you, down the road, you rework it. You know, I think that comedians brains are somewhat wired the same way you know so um i i thought that was real interesting and i i kind of get it he did not watch other comedians because he was afraid that uh he'd accidentally plagiarize without real you know i think that's so much harder these days too because yes you it's not just like stand-up tv it's not like just stand-up comedians or tv there's just like everywhere memes all that you you may come up with a joke and then realize like oh wait i saw that weeks ago on on facebook and that's part of a meme or something or i see it on the comment thread where the comedians are talking like i was working on a joke um at the beginning of all this i had this joke i thought uh man people are going to be paranoid to have sex there's going to be a lot more masturbating going on i wonder if the guys will be using sanitizer hand sanitizer instead of lotion. So that was, that was going to be a joke. And then and there were some guys riffing, just giving each other shit on the comment thread on the St. Louis Comedians page. And one of the male comedians made a really similar joke. He, he said it in the comment stream. It was very, very similar. And I thought, oh, well, darn it. I'm not going to be able to use that now. You know, so I think it's, I think it's easier. I think we all kind of have brains that are wired somewhat similar. And we have the same fucked up, dark thoughts and observations. I don't know, you know, but uh, it is challenging sometimes. You come up with an idea and then somebody else kind of has the same idea. They might do the joke a little different, but then you think, ah, I'm going to have to take that off the list now, you know? So one thing I did want to ask you about, and it's something that I've only encountered a few times uh, during stand-ups, but uh, is there anything that you think is necessarily like off limits to joke about 
Um, I haven't seen a lot of times where comedians have said like a joke that just kind of straight up bombed or got a negative, uh, negative reaction from the crowd necessarily. But I've seen one where a guy was joking about having like sex with a, with a, like a paraplegic because they don't put up a fight and immediately just got like this kind of like negative response from a lot of the people in the crowd is there something that you think are, are topics that you think are necessarily like just kind of off limits or, you know, you don't joke about that? Well, I probably have parameters, things that I would never joke about just because I think it's a bridge too far. But I'm going to have to say that I am not a fan of censorship. I mean, I don't, um, you know, okay, like the guy that made the joke about Andrew Yang. I can't even remember. He ended up losing his gig on Saturday Night Live because he made some joke about Andrew Yang, something of, some Asian angle joke. And I don't even remember what the joke was. But Andrew Yang was like, man, it's a joke. I didn't even take it that seriously. I don't really, I, I think that's the ultimate political correctness censorship. I don't think the guy should have lost his gig on Saturday Night Live before he even started the show because he made, I I don't know. I think that we are the monikers at this point of news, you know. um, In other words, this whole safe space thing that goes on and like that night at Shameless Grounds. um, I didn't even know what, people were so upset about it. I, I feel like it was Ron Finger that was performing and I thought he had a great set. And I, remember those people got up and stormed out. And I, 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 I remember that. Said that. I remember there was like a huge, uh, somebody posted like a really negative review right. on their page about yeah. it. And I'm just thinking, I remember so, one of the comments was how like the po the comedy was like transphobic or ableist and whatnot. And I'm thinking, I don't remember any like people doing transphobic comedy and the only people who were really joking about it were trans themselves. That's what comedy is, is expressing, um, may, you know, there's an old expression. If you don't laugh, you'll cry. You, you know what I mean? Like if you're that delicate, then just stay the fuck home. Don't go see comedy. <laughs> You know, like Dave Chappelle addressed it. I don't know if you saw his brilliant special, but he was making some jokes about um, trans people. And there was a trans woman having a drink after the show that spoke to him. I thought this was an incredible take on it. She said, the ultimate in you not being transphobic is to be able to joke about it. I'm part of the mainstream now. In joking about it, you're bringing me into the mainstream just as you would maybe joke about a woman you had a bad date with, or, you know, uh, you think your dick is too small or, you know, it's like me talking about, you know, like I, a lot of my humor is very self-deprecating. I do a lot of shit about being old and, oh my God, if I dated a younger guy, I got to shave my pussy and it's a nightmare. You know, it's like self-deprecating humor. So like her point was, I feel empowered by the fact that, me being a trans woman, it's even mainstream enough now to be getting joked about. And I thought that was really fucking cool. And I think it's a, it's a unique outlook, but one that should probably be embraced more. Like, you, you know what I'm saying? 
Right. Yeah. I mean, it. There, there's a difference between. There's a difference between joking about something. I don't like anything that's super mean spirited. I don't like racism. I, I was gonna say, yeah, it, 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 it's spirit of what you're joking about. Right. Like I, I think that if somebody is really hostile about something they're joking about, then I think that that's going to show. But you know. Like, I think when a black comic gets up and talks about the difference between white people and black people or, you know, like I used to have a joke. Oh, I mean, I can remember I had this when I had my bar. One of my bouncers was black. And he said to me one night, Lisa, do you want some of these chicken wings? I said, oh, no, Lamont, I'm getting ready to go on a diet. He said, you don't need to go on no diet. You ain't fat. I said, well, no, I'm not fat by black guy standards. (laughs) You know, I mean, that's an observation that, you know. Black dudes kind of like a girl with a little meat on her bones. That's not a racist joke. It's a joke highlighting the differences between maybe our two cultures, but it's not a no, it's not a, there's no, there's no spirit of hostility there. Does that make sense? Yes, exactly. Well, that's, that's kind of what I was, you know, asking about. That's what, those are the questions that I wanted to, you know, hit. And I feel like we've kind of touched on a lot of those. Um, where can people uh, that hear this, uh, where, where, where can they find you? Do you have any kind of like online presence or if, if oh, not? Uh, oh no, I'm horrible. I'm a dinosaur. I'm horrible. I don't have Instagram. I don't have my own podcast. I'm not on TikTok. I'm not on Snapchat. Um, well, let's go about this way then. Uh, when all this blows over, where, where, where are you most likely to be found doing stand-up? Um, Gosh, let's see. God, I hope all of our clubs make it, you know? Yeah, um, I know. Well, <laughs> rest in peace, backdoor. I'm always flying on the weekends. I'd really like to um, go back to uh, the great one that Steve has on Friday night down at, um, oh, God, what's the name of that place on Manchester? The Third Rail. Because it's Friday night, that open mic. Um, now that I'm not going to be flying, I'm, not, I'm, I'm grounded until at least June. If when, if when that comes back, I'd like to go there. I'd like to do the crow's nest. I've still never, never done the crow's nest. I would, of course, like to go back to helium. Um, I'll just be where all you guys are. I mean, I'll just go where the, I'll go where all the cool kids are. I'd like to do Shameless Grounds again. I love that open mic. I was hoping to do that again last month, and then they uh, they closed that. They did. They, uh, you mean they closed it prior? No, no, no. no. Not closed entirely. They they canceled the event. They did. Yeah, they canceled the event because of uh because of Corona. Like, they canceled the event because of the virus. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But they're they're doing a lot of uh, they're doing a lot of fundraisers right now to try to keep themselves afloat so they can yeah. come back after this. I'm I'm guessing when they get back open, because it seemed like a very successful. It was a very well attended open mic. My God. Yeah. More so. I'm I'm interested in any open mic. But the ones I really like are the ones that actually have non-comedian audience there. That's always a good time. <laughs> I like, there's, there's a few places around that I really like. Um, like, I like Heavy Anchor and I like Apotheosis. Oh, yeah, I, I've not done Apotheosis either, but I love Heavy Anchor. Love Chad. I, I, I like those because it, they don't necessarily cut off at a certain point. Like, they don't, like, say, hey, we're going to do 15 comedians and right. then you're fucked. Um, so it's not like helium or funny bone where you get put in a lottery. I'm too old. I I like knowing that I'm actually going to go on. I'm I'm just too old for that. I'm just too old to go out on a weeknight and 
possibly not get on. I'm just, as you get older, you have less and less will to live, basically. <laughs> or, you know, well, I mean, that's by definition, of, right? You know, like put on makeup or fucking drag your ass out of the house. Although right now I just, God, I've been cooped up in this apartment. Oh, this is horrible. You know, it's like single people at this point are like, oh, and then married people are like, oh, <laughs> you know, everybody's just at their wits end with this isolation. Whether you're isolating with your family, your significant other, or you're isolating alone, it's just, it's too much. It's, it's human beings were not meant for this. It's too much. I'm, I'm like, I'm not, I'm, really I'm not single, but I feel like single guys right now really need to step up their, uh, their game for like texting long distance. Like I feel um, that the, the dick pic standard is not gonna, it's not gonna cut it anymore. They really gotta up it. Well, you know what I, I said? Eating glasses to see the dick pic. So that's why I don't like them. Oh, uh, that's, uh, that's gonna be a blow to someone's ego. Yeah, right. I gotta put my reading glasses. <laughs> it's just like what no <laughs> so I, I don't know if you have any uh, necessary material like that you want to leave us with uh maybe I'd actually like to have a conversation about tiger king okay first of all no spoiler alert because i'm only i'm only i'm just now going into the fourth episode i find all of these people reprehensible i fucking hate all of them i hate all three divisions of people i i hate the, i i hate the fancy guy that has all the wives it has the upscale safari doc I, yeah doc antley or whatever i hate the i really hate joe erotic or exotic or whatever his name is that fucking megalomaniac he's like donald trump he's like if donald trump owned a safari zoo that is who he would be and he, if he was gay so I hate that guy. And I don't like Carol Baskin either. I hate all of these people. Like seriously, I'm rooting for the tigers. I want the I want the wild animals to all stage a coup and I want them to kill all these motherfuckers. I hate them. And don't tell me how it ends, but for me, the happy ending would be if the animals just mutilated all these people. I just hate all of them. Are you supposed to hate all of them cuz I do? I feel like you are. Okay. This isn't really a spoiler, but there's there's one guy later on in the in the series that when he's giving his interview, he's just giving his interview while sitting in the bathtub. And at that oh. point, you're so like you know just mystified by the whole Tiger King experience that it just, it doesn't even you know phase you. You're like, yeah, uh, this is an interview in a bathtub, whatever. I I just you know, and I've been I know this is shocking, but I have been stone cold sober this whole period of time. I've not had any alcohol and I'm, I, I like to drink. So, but I, you know, I got my, my boyfriend broke up with me on March 15th. I know. And then two days later I had to put Fletcher to sleep and I'm dealing with all of this going into this apocalypse. So I just know that if I start drinking I'm just going to feel infinitely worse. So I've been sober, but every time I'm watching Tiger King, I feel like, man, this is really a show that where you're supposed to be drinking while you're watching it. I really, I, I think it's kind of hard to take sober. You know, we did a drinking game with it. I think uh, that would be a good idea. I think we that did a what game the, where you drink, you take a drink every time someone in your group says "what the fuck." Right. Exactly. And we were plastered by the second episode. I could, yeah. I think it's one of those things. I do. I do. But no, this isolation, um, 
the social distancing is hard for me because I got all these skeletons in my closet and I got all my different personalities rolling around in my head. So the social distancing as that person has been quite challenging. It, it is. I got the skeleton, you know, the drinking skeleton from the 90s. Come on, Lise, let's party. Go get a bottle of Jameson. It's just us. Nobody will know. Then I got the skeleton from the early 2000s, back when I weighed like 243 pounds, the eating disorder skeleton that's telling me to go get a fucking cheesecake. Let's eat the whole fucking thing. This is just a bad situation over here. But I have stayed completely sober, and I've eaten nothing but healthy food, and I'm exercising every day, and I'm walking three or four miles multiple times a week. So I'm just doing the very best that I can. I'm doing the very best that I can. That's commendable. I'm, I'm trying hard because the potential for me to end up in the psych ward, believe me, it's, I'm an extrovert. I like being around people. So it, the, 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 me ending up in the psych ward is, is, is just so easy. It's such a strong possibility. So I, I'm just trying hard to keep it together. This, for instance, that I'm doing with you is tremendously helpful. You have no idea. You're actually contributing to my mental health stability. You're contributing to me not ending up in the psych ward and my son having to come here from Colorado and, you know, stage an intervention. It, you're really being helpful. I want to thank you. Hey, I'm glad to do something positive, <laughs> you know, for change. No pressure. <laughs> not to. <laughs> Tomorrow night is going to be my birthday party. You know the Coronapocalypse thing that you signed up for? Yes. That's going to be my birthday party. Because my birthday's Wednesday, so. Is that going to be uh, just the comics? Yeah. Or is that going to be open to the public? It's going to be just the comics. I think that from what I'm hearing from people, um, most people are not real big on the idea of the virtual stuff going out to the public it's it, a lot of people think it's not really a very good medium for it a lot of people don't like the way they look on zoom um i don't know i i did a thing on uh friday night that to me was a complete disaster i i i it was open to the public i think only two of my friends showed up it just to me it was a disaster i don't know I feel like different clubs are trying to really promote their uh, virtual thing. Like I know Backdoor was saying like, oh yeah, we had 30 to 40 people, you know, tune in for this. I'm like, no, you didn't. Come on. Yeah, like, are you still doing that on Thursdays or? I don't know what they're doing. I haven't had any. I think, it, you know, I know you used to have a ton of ideas like this when I had the bar. Um, there's a lot of, Ideas that just sound phenomenal in theory, but then when you try to implement them, they just somehow miss the mark. I don't know. And I feel like um, maybe that's the case. I don't know. I just, I just want to see everybody. For me, it's just a social thing. I, don't, I really don't want to do a virtual open mic and have anybody watching. I mean, that's, that's fine. I Rob Durham, a really high-profile comedian here in town. Rob Durham kind of made an interesting point that it sort of um it sort of cheapens our art form like at that point is anybody even going to get off the couch 
and come out and see, you know, you want people to come see you when you're showcasing. Like, is anybody going to get off the couch now to go see comedy if we give them all this virtual comedy where they're just in their underwear on their couch? I don't know. What What's your take on that? I mean, I, I, I can see that. I, I will say this form of this form of doing comedy has its pros and its cons. You can't really do a lot of physical comedy with this. Like any kind, of, there's no real like extra beyond someone's facial expression. You can't really do a lot with it, and that kind of cuts down on it a bit. You lose the whole um, interaction with the crowd. It's just I don't know. It's a crowd. On the plus side, on the plus side I don't have to wear pants during it, so that's a bonus. <laughs> that seems to be a, a, a that seems to be something everybody's really excited about. I'm noticing. I mean, I really hope that I don't just like take that with me to, you know, when the clubs do open again. That might be bad. Do you think that we'll become a pantless society? Do you think we'll become a society of people that only shower three times a week instead of every day? I feel like you're just describing a utopia here. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I could talk to you all night, Jonathan. It was fun. Well, I really, uh, I really appreciate you uh, agreeing to do this with me because, you know, I had to set up a project for this final and I was like, well, you know, I know that I got to interview people. I got to make videos, uh, make a website and whatnot. And I really wanted to do it with people in the comedy community. Great idea. Yeah. And I could not think of anyone that I wanted to start it off with more than you so i'm very happy that you are the first one i'm doing this with thank you that's so nice you you uh you, you um triggered my maternal instincts that night when i met you at shameless well we were sitting right next to each other too it was easy for me to strike up a conversation with you since you were trapped sitting next to me <laughs> well, it meant a lot because you know i was very self-conscious about it and I mean, I, I thought it had gone all right, but, wow. you know, just getting someone else coming out to me saying, hey, you know, it went really well and I would like you to do yeah. this other event. It, it really pushed me to continue forward with it. So well, I appreciate that. I think that really comedians are are brave. You know, like I've done a fair amount of acting when I was young. I used to do dinner theater and I did a little acting this past summer. But to me, acting is so much easier. I'm a much better actress than I am stand-up comedian. Because when you're acting, you're playing another character. You're not yourself. You're someone else. But, man, stand-up comedy, now that, it takes a lot of guts, a lot of balls, a lot of courage. You are so vulnerable when you are just up there and you're you and you're, al- and you're ma- trying to make people laugh. That, to me, is the bravest thing. So I think anybody that gets up and gives it a shot is to be commended. I really, truly feel that way. It's, 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 it's brave. I don't know what your uh, process is uh, as compared to mine, but I know that when, you know, while we might be doing a five-minute set or whatnot, I might run through that same joke seven times in my head. I might, you know, say it out loud, uh, say my set out loud a couple times, just trying to, you know, thin it down or, you know, fine tune it and make it funny, work on the punchlines. Uh, so it's just when when you're seeing somebody standing up there, you're seeing, you know, the culmination of, you yeah. know, 
what they've been working on that day, that week. And it's, it's, it's harder than I think a lot of people think. Oh my God. It's so hard. And the thing that's weird about it is, um, you know, being a funny person doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be a good stand-up comedian. Um, like I'm actually funnier off stage just with my friends or like on the airplane than I am on stage. Like, um, every time I fly, I'm almost always the manager of the flight and I just have a field day on the PA. I mean, I just do. Cause I, I have to, I'm so bored with the job. I have to do something to liven it up. So those are some of my better, I won't call it a set, but every buddy that's getting off the plane always says the same thing. Oh my God, you are so funny. You should be a stand-up comedian. And oh my God, this is the most fun flight I ever had. You made it so fun and blah, blah, blah. But I think it's like a different kind of mindset. Uh, there's there's a lot of funny people that can come up with quips, you know, like that conversation. in a little conversation. But doesn't mean you're going to be a good comedian. It's a lot harder to be a comedian. So I, I'm actually funnier offstage with my friends. Like some of my best moments on stage are kind of the off-the-cuff ones when I just kind of start riffing with somebody in the audience. Some of my better moments have been like ad lib, not like I had a framework, but I kind of deviated. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, f- I feel like a lot of times when I'm at work, uh, I will riff with friends and coworkers and whatnot. And I'll say something that I think is really funny and I'll write it down and be like, oh man, I would love to incorporate that in a set. How can I? Yeah. It doesn't translate. Right. You think, how can I build a joke out of that? But it doesn't. Because- it doesn't always work. It's a context thing, you know? Yeah, and setting up the context kills the joke because you don't want to be like, okay, here's right. my setup. Here's a bunch of knowledge you don't have, and here's the joke. And like by that time, no one's right. everyone's checked out. You know, like Tommy Dangerfield has this very funny series that he does, uh, Dating in Your 30s, and it all takes place in his car. I think he's got like between 12 and 20 of them, all with different girls. And um, they're totally ad-libbed. Like, I did one of those with him. It was all completely ad-libbed. I mean, I had a framework of what I was doing. Um, and then he dubs his responses in that are in his head later. You're hearing his thoughts in his head. He does he does that later, if you know what I mean. But that's yep. all just off the cuff. He's really good at that, by the way. But, like, um, that was a lot of fun, just getting into his car as this old lady cougar.com we met on cougar.com don't you remember and he's like one wait i'm not uber who are you and he's horrified he's like how old was that picture you know but we had so much fun doing that and it was all just completely sort of improv ad lib you know i just i love having i i have just loved all my comedy friends that i've made i i just love it i can't say enough well i think we're gonna i'm gonna go to wrap this up here we're getting on about 40 getting towards 45 minutes here, but uh, it's been a blast and I really appreciate you doing this. I appreciate you inviting me. I'm very honored and I will see you tomorrow night. Almost definitely. At my uh, 60th birthday party. What is it? Saturday 60s? It's awful. Oh, it's awful. It's horrible. It's not your 60th. It's just your 39th, 21st. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Just stick with that. Okay. All right, so I shall see you tomorrow, and I'll see you when the world reopens.
Thank you so much for allowing me to do this with you. I'm very honored. Oh, my pleasure. Okay. Bye, Jonathan. Mm -hmm, bye.